Have you thought about franchising your business? We do hear this all the time, people going and buying into franchises, but have you thought about your own restaurant operations and what it takes for you to become a franchisor one day? And you know what? Domino's started with one restaurant, they went to two, and there are thousands, of course, and all the franchise environment restaurants you see out there. They all started with regular people just like you and me who were willing to go through the challenge and the discomfort uh, of not knowing what on earth they were doing when they were opening those franchises. And there are here these huge companies, of course, that are able to serve a lot of customers, of course, and employ hundreds and thousands of people. So if that's you, if you're looking into, you know, possibly that's something that you would like to explore and learn more about, I have a treat of an interview today for you with Stacy. And I really enjoyed this conversation and I think you will find it valuable, um, kind of a little bit overwhelming because you realize so much that you don't know. Just like myself, I realized, oh wow, there's so much that I don't know. Great. Now we know that there's a lot to learn as we walk this path and we move forward. Let me know your thoughts on it. Be sure to subscribe if you have not. And with that, let's get into the show. Hi, Stacey. Uh, I'm so glad to have you here on Making Dough Show, talking about franchising and all the things. So here in Making Dough Show, we're obsessed with making dough, obviously, here in the restaurant business. And uh, I'm excited about our chat. And I think a lot of people are thinking, uh, may or may not think that franchising is the right path for them in the restaurant industry. Thinking about whatever restaurant operations they have right now, is it a good idea to go and franchise. So we want to answer that. And if that is the case, if they're like, you know what, maybe I should look into franchising my restaurant or my business, you know, what is the path to get there? And so uh, these are some of the things we're going to talk about today. And I am super excited because we are in a very similar boat. We're looking into hopefully be able to franchise maybe in the next 12 to 18 months uh, and uh, see if this is the right path for us. So if that is you, uh, and listening to this show. I think you're uh, here for a treat. How are you today, Stacey? I am great. Thank you so much for having me with you today. I think the name of your podcast is absolutely delightful. Well, so good. You. Very clever. We are pro making dough, you know, figuratively and literally. So that is kind of a, <laughs> uh, okay. Fantastic. So why don't you go very briefly about, um, you know, your view on franchising, a little bit about how I ended up here with, you know, your experience with the franchising world overall. And what is your outlook uh, overall? What you like about it? What you don't like about it, about the franchising industry as a whole? Yeah, great question. So I actually started in corporate America. I spent 25 years there and I always had this itch to be an entrepreneur. So when I was 45, it was like, okay, it's now or never. So I bought a franchise the way most people buy a franchise, which is my son went to one and he had a good experience. And I was like, oh, if my son wants to do it, other kids need to do it too. So I quit my corporate job and I bought a franchise. So mm -hmm. the first thing I would tell you is that's not the way to buy a franchise. Um, so look inside yourself would be number one and see what motivates you. So what are your core competencies? What are you motivated by? How much money do you have to spend? And what is your risk tolerance? And so those are the four inward questions that I look at with my clients to make sure that moving forward with a franchise is really something that they want to do because it is a contract. 
And most franchises are either five, 10 or 20 year agreements. And typically the quick serve restaurants, which is what pizza would fit into, mm -hmm. typically those are on the higher, the longer end of the contracts. So you can't just walk away from a franchise agreement once you enter one. So that's sort of a con. However, the pro is you can sell your franchise. So let's say you're in, in a 20-year agreement and seven, eight years in, things are going well, but it's not as enjoyable as you thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Then you can sell your franchise. However, whoever you sell it to has to meet the same criteria as you had to meet by the franchisor. So you may have somebody who wants to buy your franchise, but the franchisor rejects them. So those are a couple of the things to think about. In terms of franchising your own business, let's say you have a business now, and you're like, I want to turn this into a franchise. The first thing you're going to need to do is open two to three locations that you do not run. Because the idea is when you own a franchise, you're no longer in the restaurant business, you are now in the business of making businesses. So you're going to need to be able, your proof of concept isn't that you have four restaurants or six restaurants. Your proof of concept is you can give a manual to somebody else and they can follow your directions to replicate what you do. Now, it doesn't mean you're completely hands off, but it does mean that they have to be able to do it by just reaching out to you and asking questions. So that's kind of the biggest one is making sure that you know you're going into a different role yourself and therefore your business will be something different than what it is today. Um, I think what you just said is just um, so powerful is that ultimately, you know, running our business to be like this machine that runs on its own the same path, if, if somebody is even looking into selling their business, as you know, is that if the business or the restaurant is heavily relying on the owner's involvement, the, the value of the business goes way down. The value right. of that business, even when you go sell that business, that if it runs without you, the team or the operations overall runs without you, the value of that business is higher, even if you go to sell it. And obviously, if you want to go franchise, and if you were to just not even do any of those other two, you know, and you just want to have whatever operations you have, ultimately getting your business to run without your involvement is the path to any of those options that somebody is looking, whether expansion, franchising, having a life, or obviously selling uh, their business. So that was a great uh, point right there. So um, let's layer deep on that. So you're saying, you know, hey, me as a business owner, I have two to three uh, restaurants and they're doing very well, maybe sales wise overall, it's very profitable operations overall. And I'm looking into franchising in the next 12 to 18 months. So you're like, okay, so the first point you said is that, hey, your objective is that you need to get to this point when you're fully hands off for the most part. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. And you need to document everything into standard operating procedures so that people have something to look at when they buy from you. Mm -hmm. They have a man, and I'm going like this as if it was literally in, in print, but obviously online these days, but some resource that they can go to. So a typical franchisor will have operations in place. They'll have the, um, you're going to have to help me out with restaurant lingo, like the, the payment system. 
like a payment processing payroll? A pay, not the payment processor, um, because that everyone POS will, system. The POS system. Yeah, the point of sales. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they'll have their own. I mean, it might be an off the shelf, but they'll have one that you're required to use. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll have all the processes and procedures. So you'll want to think about that when you're setting up your your business as a franchise is that you're going to start negotiating with all of these tech companies for the software that mm -hmm. you use to make sure, first of all, that they're available in the entire country uh, if you're going to sell nationwide and that that it they can service it, you know, that you don't want it to be the one that comes so big that you collapse all of your vendor services. Um, so that's that's one element of it. Uh, another element is you're going to, before you can sell, you're going to need to create what's called a franchise disclosure document. So back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, the franchise industry was like the wild, wild west. No rules, no regulations, lots of scams going on, blah, blah, blah. In it's either 71 or 72, the state of California was the first state to actually put some regulations around franchising. And then the federal government adopted the state's regulations for a federal level mm -hmm. in about 79, I want to say. Since then, and that used to be called the Uniform Franchise Disclosure or something. Now, And then subsequent to that, they've tightened it up again. They've made it more um, systematic across all of the United States. There's 23 items in a franchise disclosure document. And as a franchisor, you must answer all 23 of these items as to how you're going to operate your relationship with your franchisee. And then you have to give that to a prospective franchisee before you actually sell a restaurant to them. Now, there are some states, I want to say five, that actually require you to file your franchise disclosure document with the state. And then the state either approves it or they send it back to you and you have to make uh, changes specifically for that state. Mm -hmm. And then you have to refile it every year with them. Fantastic. So um, a few things is what I'm hearing you say. One is, you know, there is a time commitment that we can go a little bit deep into. What is going to be the time commitment of somebody setting up that franchise for their operations? The other one is, possibly money commitment. You've got to be working with different um, different consultants or lawyer or this, this different people groups setting this up. So what's going to be the money commitment and obviously the time commitments and what are the kinds of people that uh, you're going to be working with if you are going to be setting up your franchise? Again, I think about lawyer because that's the one, but so you're saying city government, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, that's a really good point you raised because there are franchise attorneys. There are attorneys that specialize in working on behalf of the franchisor to create that franchise disclosure document with you. There are also attorneys who specialize in working with the franchisee. So you want to be sure you're looking for that franchisor attorney. Now, many business attorneys will say they can do it and they probably can, but I highly encourage you to use an, uh, an attorney who specializes in working on behalf of the franchisor. Because whatever you commit to in that franchise disclosure document, you're going to have to live up to on behalf of your franchisee. So one of the things that we see in the franchise industry is that 
when you go to buy a franchise, a lot of people think that it's like, you know, going to the car dealership to buy a car. You go in, you pick one, you give them money. That's not the case. You actually have to be approved by the franchisor. So when you're thinking about building your business as a franchisor, what type of people do you want in your network? Because they are either going to make you or break you in terms of your brand. You know, the, it's the weakest link thing. You know, if you have somebody that owns your restaurant and they're not presenting it the way you want it presented, then it's not like the old days where we never traveled outside of our own town, right? So if you go to a McDonald's or uh, if you order a Domino's pizza in a hotel or whatever, you can pretty much bet it's going to be the same from Minnesota to California mm -hmm. to Florida, right? You want that in your franchise because that's your brand and what your brand stands for. And so you're relying on the people that you sell franchises to, to represent your brand the way you want it represented. So what does that person look like to you? What is their mindset? Mm -hmm. If they're just in it for the money, is that okay? Is that not okay? Um, what are you going to do? What are the ramifications going to be if you tell them that they have to decorate in a certain way and they don't do it? All of those details need to be included in your franchise disclosure document before you're even in a position to go out and offer your franchise. There's a lot of details involved. Um, there's a lot of yes, details. There's a lot of detail involved. And, you know, uh, I want to ask you again about the, the money commitments. If somebody's like, okay, I want to set up that franchise, what's going to be average, give or take, um, cost that's one must set aside and or for this whole project of setting up a franchise for their business and um, and the time commitment. So one thing is to setting it up on an ongoing basis, a little bit what it takes. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. So it kind of depends, obviously, on whether you're doing a brick and mortar or a work from home. So since we're talking about restaurants, I'm going to go with brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. um, so First of all, like I said, you're going to have to open about four. So whatever the cost of opening four restaurants is, is going to be your, your first hurdle, right? Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it is not inordinately expensive. Uh, I would say if you put aside 60 to 70,000, that should be enough to get you to a place where you can make the offering. Now, how long it takes you to actually sell a franchise? And are you going to offer the architect services. And these are kind of decisions you have to make. So some franchises will say, we have an architect that you must use to find your location and design it. Mm -hmm. But it's at you, the franchisee's expense. So you're going to negotiate with some architect and then do they want a retainer or not from you while they're waiting for you to sell your first franchise. So there may be some operating costs and carrying costs initially when you're getting started. But once it's up and running, the idea is that the, so there's two fees in a franchise. You're going to charge them an initial franchise fee mm -hmm. to essentially license your brand and all of your knowledge. And that's typically around $50,000 is the average, right? And then you're going to charge them a monthly fee to sustain the services that you provide. 
So most franchises do that as a percent of sales, a percent of revenue. So you could have a franchisee who's making money, but not making profit, but they still have to pay you the percent off of the revenue. And the idea in the model is that the, the franchise fees that you charge are your uh, keep you in business and the royalties are your profit and your growth money. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So the idea would be, of course, you're going to get enough franchisees spending $50,000 with you to keep that, that team, the corporate team, operational. And then every month when they're paying you their royalties, then that's the money you can use to expand, to advertise, to sell more franchises, to refine your systems, maybe to hire another corporate staffer, things like that. Very interesting. I see. That's that's fascinating. Um, great. So you talked about that. And so is it that somebody who is like, a, for example, a, a, an owner right now, their role will shift and change. So currently, maybe they're just overseeing the operations they have, the multiple operations they have. Then when they're going into a franchise model, their role will change. How will one know what's best for what that role is? Is it to be the one that has to go sell the franchises? Is it the one just to make sure that we're compliant with everything with the lawyers and the stuff? Um, or what headquarter positions kind of sequentially one needs uh, for the to set up things to move successfully? Yep. So typically the founder then becomes the overseer of the corporate level. So you're working with the attorneys, you're getting your FDD, you're making sure it's filed in the state, you're hiring a potentially a CFO, a marketing person, an IT person. And then each of those people are going to oversee those respective industries. So there are elements of the business and they're going to all report up to you. So the whole idea of helping the franchisee, there's somebody else doing that. That's your hands off on that because you're running the business of selling businesses. You're in a whole new business. If you're used to selling pizza and pasta, mm -hmm. you're not in that business anymore. You're in the business of selling restaurants. Fantastic. Sounds fun and uh, intense. All right. People so, love it. Some people oh, love I, it. You know, oh, I understand. And I think that it's just challenging and it'll be, and if one is up for the challenge, obviously it can be of great success. Uh, and you can and scaling if you just scale yourself with your money and your own resources. I think you I think theoretically, I think you move much slower than if you could leverage a franchise model. If you have something that's scalable and you can leverage that model that other people are funding it and you have the knowledge and you, you're willing to take on the challenge and go through these things. I think you can have a, you know, a scalable model that that can do very well for everybody involved. Uh, employees, franchisees, franchise, or all of them. Um, and a lot, a yes, lot of people, sorry, a lot of people start their franchise as a regional franchise. And then they'll expand because that way you can have your employees actually going to visit these places. It's not too far and it's not as costly as if you had to have employees getting on planes to go places. So um, maybe that's the place to start too, is thinking about if you're 
well, because the state of Texas is so huge, but if you're in yeah. Texas, maybe you're going to tackle the state of Texas first. You know, if you're in the Southeast, maybe you're going to tackle Atlanta and the outlying area first, something like that, and then kind of grow from there. That's very smart because you're saying, you know, in the beginning, it, it would cost a lot of money to, and obviously the stress or the, how are you going to control what's going on over in some other state versus if everything's closer and you can actually meet people way more in person, travel around and all that. Exactly. Um, and, the, and the other benefit to that is that you're getting to know which franchisees are your model franchisees because you think you know going in but once you start working with people maybe you discover that I'm making this up to make a point that you know people in their 30s are better than people in their 60s maybe you find that people who have a passion for food mm-hmm. are, are better fit than people who are vegan and just want to do it because they know everyone else eats pizza. You know, it's just. Yeah. Well, people with a military background fit this model or, you know, when you have moms or, exactly. you know, people who are young men who are single or a couple working, I mean, each model is different. So it, it'd be a best fit. You know, you'll know that's what you're saying. And that that's exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. no, absolutely. And, and, and having them, having a few locations regionally will enable you to put your theories to the test mm-hmm. and then move or adjust as needed. Very good. I wanted to, to ask you one last question, and that is, if somebody is thinking about how do we define a successful um, franchisor and a successful franchisee if we could kind of define that a little bit so people have an image of what does that look like even how do you define a successful franchisor for instance in our case here yep so that's a that's a really good question and if i had the absolute answer to that i would be a millionaire i understand maybe just a few things that makes a uh, make it great yeah yeah so you need somebody who's committed to the same mission that you're committed to both people literally have to be on the same team So one thing that is seen often in franchising is somebody will buy a franchise and then once they know how to run it, then they either feel like they shouldn't have to pay the royalties anymore or they, the rules don't apply to them anymore, or they figured out a better way to do it. So they're going to do whatever they want. Those are all bad things, right? Like the franchisor The reason that you buy a franchise is because your franchisor has done all the testing for you and they've created the best model Mm -hmm. for what they offer. So the best thing that you can do to be a great franchisee is to execute that model to precision. Another thing is, it sounds like tattling, but if you have other franchisees that you know are not following the rules, you really do want to tell the franchisor because that other franchisee can break you just as much as they can break the franchisor. So for example, and I, this isn't going to happen in a pizza industry, but for example, in um, the, the franchise I had was child development, right? So there was a location in California where one of the teachers in his 20s 
was dating one of the students who was 17, you know where this is going, right? Yeah. And so you can imagine when that story hit the news because the girl's mother filed a lawsuit and as a franchisor, they're going to come after you as well as your franchisee because you are in theory going to have much deeper pockets than your franchisee, right? Yes. So somebody in that organization, I have to believe knew that that teacher was dating that student, you know? So nobody reported it. Mm -hmm. And therefore every school in the system got hit with parents either pulling kids out or saying, how do I know my kids are protected mm -hmm. or, 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 right? So when you're thinking about the ideal franchisee franchisor relationship, you really want your franchisees to feel like they own the entire brand and everybody has the well-being of the entire brand top of mind. And however you get to that, whatever that those characteristics are or how you get at those characteristics, that's the part I'm really not sure about. But, you know, background checks and whatever you would do for an employee, you would want to do for a franchisee as well. I think it all go back, goes back into setting expectations up front, having your standards very clear and communicated. Uh, one of the things that you're saying, for example, with the issue that you said, sadly, it happens in all kinds of businesses. The other one is like food safety. If a, yes. I think a location has a case of food poisoning and it gets to be like 10 cases or because they were not really handling food properly with safety guidelines, that could really ruin the reputation of all other locations involved, yeah. uh, you know, because it goes back to the brand Right. Remember so, when there were yeah. some Chipotle's that had some bad lettuce or something? Yeah, it was probably one or who knows how many Chipotle's out there, but it was exactly. everywhere. It was just Chipotle everywhere. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. Yeah. Uh, fascinating and, and conversation. Some, some franchisees will try to cut costs. You know, if they're not making a lot of money, maybe they hold on to lettuce a day or two longer than the expiration date on it in an effort to try and save some money. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I get that. Um, and the other thing, sorry, one yes. last No, point. go ahead. You have to treat all your franchisees equally because you're opening yourself up to potential lawsuits if you don't. Let's unpack that. Are you saying that, for example, this franchisee has like financial issues or whatever, if you're doing for one, you need to do for all, or what do you mean treating you everybody? You willing to do for all, yes. If you, so uh, like oftentimes the franchisee will say, I'm really hurting. Can you reduce my royalties by two points till I get going? Unless that's in the franchise disclosure document that you're mm -hmm. going to do that for every franchisee you onboard, yes. you can't do that because you're opening yourself up for all of your other franchisees to come back and say, that's not what the contract says. Mm -hmm. So if you can go outside the contract with them, you can go outside the contract with me. This is what I want. And that can be, yes. That's a can of worms. That's a can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And last thing I will say, because this is an issue right now that you and I have been talking about is employment, mm -hmm. the co-employment issue. So right now 
when in, in so right now when a franchisee hires an employee that employee is a franchise is an employee only of that franchisee the state of california again is wanting to make it so that if a franchisee has an employee that is a co-employee of the franchisor yes another way they're also employed by the franchisor now, the industry doesn't want it because the franchisor, if they wanted a bunch of employees, they wouldn't sell franchises. They'd open corporate stores and hire a general yes. manager. Mm -hmm. If a franchisee w wanted to share an employee, then they'd probably hire 1099. But in many places, you they, the state dictates whether the behavior of an employee is a 1099 or an employee. So if you're a, if you have a co-employee with the franchisor, then the franchisor can start dictating how much you have to pay, whether you have to have medical insurance, whether, and then the other thing is if they're co-employed with the franchisor, mm -hmm. then if you're in a place where you're paying minimum wage, there are different rules relative or laws relative to how much you have to pay if you're this big of a company or this big of a company. So there's a lot of entanglement in that opportunity or possibility of co-employment. And so right now that's happening in California. They're debating that. The franchise industry is opposed to it. The state of California thinks it would be better for the employees. So right now, don't open a franchise in California. Don't oh my goodness. Those Californians. Yeah. I don't know how they live out there. <laughs> what is that? Out there and he loves it, but I have no Oh, I know. Idea. It's it's it is nice, of course. It, it, it is. is. And there's a lot of nice people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, anyway. it's hard to be a business owner. It's, it's, it it's really hard to be a business owner uh, out there. Uh fascinating conversation, Stacey. We could go on and on. Uh it was incredibly jam-packed, uh, 30 minutes here, and I appreciate it very much. Uh let us know a little bit uh how people can connect with you. Uh, and where they can learn more from you. Thank you so much for that. I am at stacymarmalejo.com. If you're curious about buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, and the one area we actually didn't touch on, but if you own a business now that you don't want to make it a franchisor, but you want to become a franchisee, you can convert your business to a franchise. So if you have any interest in any of those three areas of franchising, I'd love to chat with you. Just go to my website. There's a button you can link on to set up a time and we can just chat about what it is that you want to do. And I think it can be incredibly valuable, you know, seeking counsel from somebody before going into spending hours and hours of your time or thousands of dollars that it takes to seek counsel. Is this the right thing for me or not? So I think um, I'm, I'm pro that uh, and I strongly recommend it. So, and I think Stacey can be incredibly helpful to somebody who is maybe thinking about opening it or what to do and whatever, all of that. I think it could be incredibly beneficial. So I appreciate that. And one last thing is be careful what you believe from the internet. There's a lot of misinformation out there. We were talking about pros and cons earlier. There's some statement or some fact on the internet that says that franchises perform better than or stay in business longer than independence. That is not true. It's about the same. Oh, I so, bet. Yeah, oh, yeah. I yeah. understand. I think, because, it, it, yeah. And it goes back into what you were saying in terms of it goes a lot to, with your personality, your risk assessment, your knowledge, 
it is not a just a blanket statement to say this or that. People thrive in different, maybe in an independent environment they thrive or in a franchise. It's more of that self-awareness that we were not able to go deep in uh, during our talk here, which you right previously we had talked about that, which is I think right. incredibly key key component. Know uh, yourself of this. before you think about yes. whether you want to be a franchisor or a franchisee. Really know yourself and your motivations because Absolutely. that's going to be the difference between success and failure. Absolutely. Thank you uh, so much, Stacey. I learned so much uh, from you and it was incredibly valuable. And I hope that uh, we'll see you around here soon. And with that, let's get back to work and make some dough. Thank let's you. make some Bye. dough. That's right. That's my ending to every show. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Stacey. Appreciate it. Thank you.